0: All we've uh, we finish this morning the Christmas story. It's appropriate we finish that on, on the 31st day of uh, December, the last day of the year. Uh, the Christmas story that we've been looking at it from the second chapter of Luke. And this ending to the Christmas story that you find in chapter 2, beginning at verse 21, of which because of my inability to type numerals correctly should have begun at verse 21 uh, but anyway I'll read verse 21 in a bit. Uh, from 21 to verse 40 concludes the Christmas story this is the end of the Christmas story, I'll i say why we won't get to it but uh, and the, the, this ending is in, in four parts and that's how we're going to read, we're going to break it up into those Four parts of the ending of the Christmas story. The first is about Jesus' parents and about uh, their proving their piety by their performance, and uh, that's found in verses twenty-one to, uh, I think, twenty. Uh, to, I'm not sure. Twenty-five, maybe twenty-four. First, uh, uh, and at the end of eight days. if you Read with me. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law uh, of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Joseph and Mary were pious, practicing Jews, and so they kept the law. And they did so by circumcising their son on the eighth day, and then by presenting him in the temple on the fortieth day. Uh, the one at their domicile there, there uh, wherever they were boarding at that point in Bethlehem and then the other in the temple. And Mary also went through the purification process for uh, a a woman having given birth to a male child. And then when you read the Turtle Gods of the Pigeon, it reveals something to us of the the home of Jesus, the home in which Jesus was raised. There was piety, and there was at least uh, uh, some bit of poverty. The important thing in all this is that they did everything according to Old Testament law. The other important thing about this is they did it for you and for me and for our eternal benefit. You remember Jesus as he's getting into the sun said that he didn't come to abolish the law but to fulfill the law and he did so by obeying it he fulfilled it entirely and this is the very first step in his obedience even though his parents had to do it for him he's 40 days old the law was obeyed. The law was kept. So when the law convicts you and me out, when it condemns us and leads us out, we can say, wait a minute, the law has been kept. Jesus kept the law in my place. For me, they also obeyed God's message. This wasn't law in the sense of the Old Testament law, but they they kept God's message to them through the angel, which was to name their son Jesus. And it doesn't say this in Luke's account, but if you go over to Matthew, Matthew's account, where David is telling Joseph about this child that has be conceived and born says that you shall call his name Jesus, which means, as you well know, Yahweh saves, or salvation is the Lord's, or whatever. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You and I are among those people, we who are resting this morning in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he saved us from our sins by disobedience to the law, by obeying, obeying the Father even to the point of death, death on a cross in our place, as our once for all perfect sacrifice. Now Luke records all of that for those reasons that I've just given, as well as to set the stage for what the rest of the end of the story, if you will the other parts of this part of the Christmas story. The second part is about a man named Simeon. A spirit-filled man testifying to Jesus as the Christ. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Well, who's this Simeon? Apparently he's not a priest. Uh, he's not identified one as one, nor is he said to be involved in any of the rites that uh, took place there in the temple. All we know of him is that he was a righteous and devout man who was looking for Christ and was filled with the Spirit. What more? You need to know about singing I mean, how much more do you need to know about it? That would be a great epitaph, wouldn't it? When they laid Simeon in his grave, with that on his headstone, when they laid me and you in our grave, wouldn't it be great if they could put that with the proper gender? God, uh, a woman who. Uh, was looking for Christ and filled with the Spirit. Well, wouldn't that be great if they could put that on our, on our headstone? That's everything we know. It's a pretty good biography. More importantly, he recognized Jesus as the Christ and, and of his Israel's hope. He did that, of course, by the Holy Spirit. He was led there by the Holy Spirit and he didn't just happen to be there wandering around and so I'll go up here for a minute. But he came in and he knew Jesus was the Christ. This 40-day-old and fit in his mother's arms. He knew more than that. He knew that not only was the Christ his and Israel's hope, but the hope of the world. Which, of course, includes you and me. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He would bring light into the darkness in which the Gentiles lived. He would be the light of the world. And that would both bring the Gentiles to him and glorify Israel for the Savior has come out of Israel. And you and I mark this. You and I, present-day Gentiles, are included in the light that has come and shone on us. Hallelujah. But, but then he tempered the Christmas joy of the first century and of the 21st century by showing the dark side of the Christmas story. And there is a dark side to the Christmas story. Jesus would bring revision. He would bring opposition. He would bring pain. Now up to this point the advent or Christmas story has been a joint one another that Simeon sobered all of the messianic expectations. You remember how we closed worship last Sunday? We sang a hymn. You remember what the hymn we sang? Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive a king. Let every heart prepare him moon and heaven and nature sin. and I don't know about you but I walk out with a spring in my step and joy in my heart and still with that song going through my mind for well, the earth didn't receive its coming she largely rejected me every heart did it prepare him room, very few hearts did. John writes, the true light, which gives light to everyone who's coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. There'd be division among his people. Division between the few who received him and the many who rejected him. The leaders would oppose him and ultimately put him to ignominious death upon a cross. And a sword would pierce his mother's heart as she watched her son be rejected and be opposed and be ridiculed and be mocked. And then finally these hung on a cross, not hung on a cross, nailed to a cross, and die, and be laid in the tomb. The world still doesn't receive him. The world of hearts will make him known. You and me and and all who do receive him. Jesus draws out the thoughts of man. The third part of the end of the Christmas story is about an old woman giving thanks to God for the Christ and testifying of him. Who's this Anna? Well, she was a pious old widow. She may have been 84 years old. She may have been 104 years old. Depends on, uh, and, the, and the Greek is, you can't, you can't really discern whether it's talking about she lived 84 years total up to that point or if it had been 84 years since her husband died since she had been widowed. She was married at 15 and married seven years. That's 21. You can do the math. And, and so she may well be somewhat over 100 years old, or she may be 84 years old. They're both old. Uh, she is uh, from uh, the uh, so-called, one of the so-called lost tribes of, of Israel. Uh, but the important part for us is that she spent every, every waking hour of every day in the temple. Worshipping, fasting, and praying. She was yet another pious Jew in early history of Jesus. She's part of the Christmas story and its message. She was like Simeon. She recognized the Christ child. And couldn't keep quiet. she had to say something about it she had to testify just like singing and while he spoke to the parents she spoke to the people and both bore witness to the incarnation of the promised one how many witnesses does the bible require to make it a fact. Two or three. Leviticus 19.15. Here are two witnesses. One male, one female. Godly Jewish people. People who are in the temple daily. Known for their godliness and goodness. And they testify that this. This child. Is the son of the living God who has come into this earth to save the world. Well then, the story ends. Uh, Not just this part of the story, the whole Christmas story ends in verse 39 and 40. The parents returning home to raise their son who just happens to be the Savior of the world.
1: And when they had performed everything according
0: to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Here's a, I guess it's a parenthesis. To address an issue that uh, it just seems like we need to address, for anyone here who has just finished reading the Christmas story in Matthew and then read it in Luke, You see there's there's something of a a disconsonance there. Uh, If you remember, Matthew has the wise men coming from the east. And uh, after they depart, an angel comes to Joseph and says, you better leave and be gone. Go to Egypt until Herod is dead. Luke makes no mention of the wise man and the star, or of their going to Egypt, he simply says, they went home. They returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And he says they do that after they finish doing everything that the law required. And this is often cited as a proof one of errors in Scripture, but also as a as a factor of negation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, you yeah, can't even get your story straight.
1: But there are two likely,
0: actually more likely, uh, explanations. Matthew and Luke may well have been writing at the same time. Could have been writing concurrently. And not in cahoots with one another. Writing, Matthew's writing his, Luke's writing his account of the gospel. Luke uh, he may, may never have known about the, the wise men at that point and of the trip to Egypt. He's writing from his research and from what he got. Or Luke may well have known about it, but selectively chose to leave it out. Anybody ever write anything? Edit anything? You ever give testimony to something you've seen? You ever talked to three people about what went on last Sunday at church? Ask, ask three people tomorrow what this was about. See the answers you get. I'll be true answers. Well, I mean, There's so much room on a scroll. So just for space, you know, we edit for space. Uh, You know, how many of you read a book and said, you know, this is a great 700 page book, it would have been a greater 350 page book. And just tighter editing. Or, Or we, you know, we edit for our audience. Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. Luke wasn't, he's writing to a Gentile audience. They're both writing their accounts of the Gospel but they're telling different stories. They're telling their version of the Gospel story. Whatever, whatever. Uh, Luke is writing of their eventual return to Nazareth. They may well, you know. They went to Egypt, they heard that Herod died, they came back. His son was, was ruling and they went up to Galilee to get out from under his roof. Anyway, that ends the Christmas story. It's closed. And there's verse 40, which takes us through the next 12 years of Jesus' life. And uh, the child grew became strong, filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. That's the entirety of what we know in those 12 years of Jesus' life after uh, 11 years and 325 days of Jesus' life. Question. What should we do with that? What should we do with the Christmas story in this new year. Do you box it up? You know, like, like the lights and the ornaments and the tinsel and the gospel. Put it in its box, seal it up, carry it up in the attic, store it there and we'll take it out next year in December 1st and we'll open it up, brush it off all. or should we do something else with it? Let's review. Because the story is this. The child Jesus was, is, the Christ. God come in the flesh and blood to save the world which is joyful news, but not unmixed with not so good dreams. It's mixed with division. He himself said in the divine families and friends, and there are those in this room who can stand up and testify. Simeon said he would bring opposition. Jesus said if he were opposed, his followers would be as well. And there are those of you in this room who can testify. You can testify about division and opposition in your family, among your friends, in school, with fellow students, with faculty, with administration, at work with your coworkers, with your boss, with the company policy, with a lot of other things. And Jesus would bring pain. And there's pain in the division; is it there? And there's pain in the opposition. And there are other pains as well. And everybody in this room can probably testify to some pain that the gospel has brought or that life has brought. If he suffered, why should he not? All that said, Jesus is still who he is. And because he's who he is, he's to be received and worshipped and proclaim to the ends of the earth and to the end of the world when he will gloriously return to conclude his earthly mission. And so the Christmas story calls us to recognize and to worship Jesus as the Christ, as the Savior of the world. And the question I must ask is, him for who he is received him are you worshipping him and note when Simeon and Anna and and even the shepherds when they recognized Jesus as the Christ they worshipped him and then what else did they do they told the people around them, didn't they They testified to who he was and what he had come to do. And so, assuming that you've received him and are worshiping him, here's my New Year's suggestion. That you resolve to make known Jesus Christ in the coming year to those around you by your words and by your life. And thus add your testimony to that of Simeon and Anna and all of the saints of God throughout history. Now you have a happy new year. Let's pray.